This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest, oh, this is always so much fun, my good friend, needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway here. She's the uh, New York Times bestselling author of the Mrs. Murphy Mystery Series. She sold more than 7.5 million copies of her book. Unbelievable. Hopefully she uh, doesn't have another 7.5 in some warehouse somewhere. That's what I'm wondering. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome back to our show, my good friend, Rita Mae Brown. Rita Mae, how are you? You know, I'm wonderful despite this weather of biblical intensity. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it, but I'm fine. The hounds are fine. Everything's fine. And You know, I am just surprised, and I know you do this all the time. I mean, this is no big news to you, and you're talking to everybody. But there's a lot of wonderful work out there now about animals. Yeah, and there there is. I think the message is getting out there, and a lot of new opportunities. You know, things we haven't thought of before, and uh, voices we haven't heard from before. And uh, so, I think the message is getting out there. What are some of your accounts that you're seeing that's new and exciting? Well, I mean, I've always been interested in guide guide dogs for the blind. And also, uh, there's, you know, there are books that you like to read, wonderful books you like to read. You know, somebody writes about a dog that saved their life, and, and they truly did. And then, and, and I'm not sure what's what, but I, I try to pay attention to these special agencies of dogs for our veterans. And I think people are beginning to understand how important dogs are to mental well-being. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's taken a long time for, you know, from at least a scientific or medical standpoint for uh, people to start realizing the health benefits of having an animal around. So we've we've seen that over the years where it's, you know, known to if you have a, a cat or a dog or an animal in your life, it lowers your blood pressure, extends your life, makes your quality of life better, your uh, ability to be able to get out and have commonalities with people. All that definitely stands true. But now I see even more People becoming more aware, uh, whether it's uh, food, for instance, is a big part of it. You know, we had the big uh, health scare with all of our uh, canine and feline food uh, coming out of uh, China in years past and and being uh, uh, poor quality and having some issues. And now we're seeing not only more and more people step up, companies step up and improve their products, but also new players getting into the market, not only from a, a financial standpoint, but just from a pure, you know, good, high quality food standpoint. And I know I get called quite often, you know, during my consultations, you know, no, I'm not a veterinarian or a, a nutritionist. Uh, I have my own experiences and experiences of clients and as well as the things I read. And uh, that's always seems to be one of the big topics, you know, people wanting to know, okay, what is it? What's the differences in the foods and uh, what should I be feeding my animal? Yeah, it's true. I mean, in the old days, you just opened a package and didn't think about it or you opened a can. And, um, and of course, I have a foxhound to feed. And we're very careful about that because we have to change the protein and fat contents according to the season and if they're hunting or not. So we're we're vigilant. And we, of course, I have a wonderful vet that I think probably most of your listeners do and you do too. But it, it's fascinating to me. And, you know, we, we think all animals are like ourselves, but they're not. Their digestive systems are a little different than our own. 
And I'm learning all the time, and I wish I knew more, but you do. So I know if I get in a jam, I'll just call you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all the answers, whether you want to hear them or not. That's the key. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it is ironic. I come in full circle. You know, I had uh, uh, I've got a little schnauzer dog, a little toy schnauzer, and she's going to be six at the end of this month, June 30th. I remember that. It's engraved in my head because uh, you can't forget your wife's birthday and you can't partner's birthday and you can't forget your uh, your dog's birthday. That's the key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it is here. That's it right. It really isn't. Yep. And the cats too. The yeah, cats. That's right. If you forget any of them, they'll let you know. They'll give you the stink eye about it. Yeah. But when I first, you know, when we first got her as a pup, I I did customized food. I spent a lot of time in nutrition. I made her food. I used a lot of high end, uh, you know, uh, vitamins or herbs and, and seaweed and things of this sort, and it worked well for her the first year. And then she started developing a lot of uh, various health issues, uh, allergies uh, coming into play. And then later on, she had a uh, faulty gallbladder, so she had a her gallbladder removed, which then required us to lower the uh, copper levels in the food to help protect the uh, liver and the rest of the organs. So I had to learn all about that. And so it went from being customized cooked food to more of a, uh, a frozen raw food diet to a freeze-dried oh. raw food diet. Now we're back to customizing it. There's special supplement stuff. So I cook for her every single day. And the interesting thing about it is I, I've got another uh, a mini schnauzer, and he's he's like a goat. Nothing bother, bothers him. <laughs> not wood. He can eat anything. He loves his vittles. Not a problem. But I've started customizing his food and doing the same. Uh, and the, you know, the various vitamins and copper contents and things. Things like that are different than hers, but the core core proteins and things of this sort stay the same. But you're right; a lot of people don't know this. You know, if you've got working animals, uh, their protein is going to be a lot different than those that are not. Very. On some hunts, your hounds can run 30 miles because they go places you don't, and obviously they're burning enormous amounts of energy. And you want to keep them healthy and fit. And I always like to start out with uh, the, the season. Just maybe five pounds overweight as an insurance policy, because once the temperature drops, they burn more. You know, I'm kind of interested in it, but I don't think about myself. Here, this thing is, I'm spending all this time on the cats and dogs, and I don't even care what I put in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I I just ate a half a Snickers bar, so there you go. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it, it is a little funny in a way. And, you know, in these Mrs. Murphy mysteries, the one cat, Pewter, is just, I mean, she lives for her stomach. And, I mean, I think most of your listeners may have an animal like that or at least have had an animal like that. And it's really kind of funny. I mean, it's like an animal foodie. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, they can get particular. So, you know, about their, their food, not only do we have to watch out for it, but they can get particular about what they like. You know, as I said, my uh, miniature schnauzer, my boy, he can eat anything. He doesn't care how you prepare it. Just set it on a plate and it's gone. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the little one, not only do I have to customize it based on her health issues or challenges, but she likes it a certain way. So if it's not, you know, if her uh, green peppers and, uh, you know, uh, pure chicken and things like this are not finely pureed, she won't eat it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, spoiled, spoiled rotten. So tell us a little bit about the latest. We've got Sneaky Pie Browns back in action. Uh, the latest book is called Probable Claws. It takes a cat to write the perfect mystery. Love it. So tell me a little bit about the book, the latest mystery. Are there some new characters involved, and what should uh, people be looking out for here? 
Well, I don't want to give the story away, but it's based on a true incident, oh. uh, which happened back in the late 70s. And, of course, I had to cover it up. And I don't want to mean cover it up, not that there was terrible wrongdoing, but there was, for lack of a better word, uh, covering up something that might be valuable to science. And, and, of course, it was a different time then. But I had heard about it from the medical examiner's daughter. He's, he's gone now the man that was alive when all this happened. And I thought, wow, there is a really good story here. And so I started doing my research and uh, just got deeper and deeper into it. And I thought, you know, the cat would really get into this. <laughs> <laughs> and But it, it's fascinating to me how, in some ways, we don't even know where we're living. We don't know what's around us. Mm. And... I mean, look at Americans with their history. Most Americans don't really know our own history. And then if you go before human history, we really have paid very little attention. And this earth has changed many times. And we're fairly recent. What are we, like 300,000 years or something like that? So I just got myself terribly excited about the research. And so I started to write this. And I thought, as I'm writing it, you know, I have to be careful. I don't want to name names, you know, even if they're no longer with us. Right. I don't want anyone to, you know, or their families to be criticized. But this did happen. You know, it's fascinating. Of course, you know, I know, obviously, we know each other very well, and I know uh, how great of a writer you are and, and how you dive into the history and do so much research. But I have to admit, when I first you know, started reading this, and I, I won't give away all the characters and everything here, but basically there is someone on a motorcycle Shooting, right. you know, shooting people. So I read that, you know, the first part of that. I'm like, okay, you know, I know Rita Mae does her research, and this is there's going to be some uh, historical twist or something in here that's going to be really good. But when I first took a look at, it, I thought this has got to be okay. <laughs> As an outsider looking into the writing process, I got to be thinking, wow, I've done so many of these books. What haven't I done? Oh, hey, guess what? Somebody drives by and shoots somebody on a motorcycle. A masked bandit <laughs> shoots man. <somebody> on- <laughs> <laughs> so for the, the novice that, that don't know you or, or you're you know a big fan of you and know how much research you put into this, you know I would sit back here thinking, okay, what else can I have you know sneaky pie do? Oh hey, let's have. <laughs> <laughs> well, also I, I have a soft spot for motorcycles. I really like motorcycles. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I mean, sure. When you do as many books, I mean, what is this, the twenty seventh or something like that? I mean, you can't kill people in unique ways every time. I mean, there are really only so many ways to kill people. Um, <laughs> I mean, unless you want to get into ritualization or something like right, that. Right, right, right. But why they're killed is always interesting to me. Yes. What will drive somebody to that? I mean, it, you know, the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And we do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. We could get in, and I know you and I offline have gone into these uh, discussions about the uh, sometimes hypocrisy of, of uh, life and of this of this world. Right. So uh, don't even get me started there. That's a whole whole different show. I think we could create on that that topic. And there's probably somebody doing it much better than I am. Well, I doubt that they are, and I think you'd find a lot of people agree with you. We have many questions in front of us now, and I try to put them in the books. In an entertaining way, if that's possible. You know, get people thinking, have a good time. I mean, I'm not here to, to, to be writing War and Peace for you. But, you know, maybe you can learn a little something and maybe ask some of these questions that I think we're all asking. And we may not have the answers, but at least we're asking. And the one thing you know, Tim, because of your show, 
people that are readers, people that are interested in animals, are generally active people. So they're busy in their communities, they're doing things, and, and they're the movers and the shakers in a way. I mean, they're the, they're the manpower for many of these nonprofits and stuff like that. So that's interesting. You know, the, uh, the questions that people come up with that have read your books or have listened to your show, and you realize, you know, they're really thinking. Yeah, and, you know, I'd like to think so. And from what I've seen, obviously, I've been involved with uh, this for quite some time now and obviously ran uh, my own uh, or was president of a humane society and then worked with quite a few rescues across the the nation. I understand what it takes to get it get it done, and I do believe people are, are active. They want to know more. They want to learn more. They want what's best for not only their animals but the animals around them, and then I do think that expands out past that. They want to be more aware of just everything around them. You know, if they feel they can or should, they'll take a stand on whatever topic it is. Well, can I brag? Can I have a, a braggadocious moment here? Sure. We have saved skunk babies. <laughs> <laughs> the last two days, we found little teeny-weeny baby skunks in a pipe, oh, in a drainage man. pipe. And I know none of the dogs killed the mother, or we would know. I mean, you always know. Oh, yeah, when somebody yeah, you would know that one. But we didn't know where the mother was. So we tried to protect you know, the babies and not have water running through it and all this kind of stuff. And to keep the house dogs away, which was actually pretty easy. And by God, if the mother didn't come and move them. From where you rescued them? Yeah, but I don't, she put him there in the first place, and I wonder why. I don't know, but I was afraid if, you know, if she didn't come in two days, then I was going to save them. And there's usually a nursing cat around here somewhere because of the feral cats, which little by little I try to get fixed. Uh, and I thought, well, I, you know, I can put them with a nursing mother, and maybe we can save them. But, I mean, I don't know about what's going on down there, but this has been a marvelous spring for reproduction. Some years there isn't much of anything. They know it isn't going to be a good year for food, I think. But this year, I've got everything. I got turkeys everywhere, and I just look out and I think, well, you know, this is this is what made people happy in times past. Now they just kind of look at their computer screen. Yeah, isn't that sad? Yeah, I saw a um, a little video clip that popped up on social media, and they were showing people tourists in a gondola in uh, Italy, and all of them were sitting there texting or or looking at their uh, <laughs> their devices. <laughs> And I oh, thought it was God. a joke at first, but later found out that, that it was true, uh, which is sad commentary uh, yeah, for yeah. sure. But, yeah, we've seen an influx of uh, animals around here too, a lot of wildlife, uh, animals you don't typically see. We see a lot of birds coming. I, a stork flew over the house just the other day, and you know, I live oh, – wow. Yeah, I don't live too far from a, a massive lake here, but uh, you know it's rare that I see something of that sort. And uh, it was funny all the all the predictors procrastinate. Uh, how do they say it? Uh, people that are predicting. We'll put it that way. They said uh, you know here in the uh, south southeast we had a very cold winter, so you, you know your bug population should be fairly minimal this year. No, that's not happened uh, <laughs> at all. I can say that for sure. Bugs are out plentiful, so we got to be careful around here. Uh, and some of the most more enjoyable ones are popping up. But we, uh, the place that uh, we live in, is relatively in a. There's a lot of woods, a lot of uh, grass and things around us, but it's fairly uh, pretty much in the city. But this year we saw an abundance of uh, fireflies. You know, uh, oh, cool. 
really cool. And that you know that that takes you back to the days when you were a kid, when you used to get the old uh, you know ball jar and put the holes in the top of it, and you would catch the you know the the fireflies, and you put them in the jar and see them light up. And then of course you know I would release them at the end of the day. But so you know it took me back to my youth, and I hadn't seen any of those for uh, for quite some time around here. You know, you just brought up bugs, and that was my first great religious crisis. I was little. I wasn't in grade school yet. And I remember saying to Mother, Mama, why did God make chiggers? And my mother looked at me, and there was a moment, and she said, to keep you humble. Oh. <laughs> didn't think about it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's pretty good, though. That's pretty good. I yeah. remember that. So I, maybe we can use that for mosquitoes and some of the other ones. I'm not sure. Oh, God. <laughs> Now, I mean, I had the same, we all had the same thought up here that you did down there. We thought, well, you know, this winter will take care of it. No, no, they're, they're still out there. Yep, they're still in abundance. And, uh, yeah, this is the time of year when it starts to heat up and you see them out quite a bit. So, you know, going back to the book Probable Cause, go through this process again when you, when you first find out about this hot topic. That really excites you. You're talking to the uh, the Emmy's daughter, and, and there's this bit here. What sparked your interest, and then how did you go about digging into it and the process behind that? Because I know you spent a lot of time doing the research, going to the library, going to the sites themselves to, to dig up these. I do. Gyms. I mean, I am so fortunate to do what I do, and I'm so fortunate to live in Virginia because so much of our beginnings is still here. What should I say? Our beginning since Europeans got here in 1607. But we're getting some of our tribes have finally been recognized, and I won't get into that. I did a mystery about it years ago. But at any rate, we're we're sort of pulling our past together before Europeans and then after Europeans. So the part about the 18th century is easier for me because I can go to the documents. The modern storyline, which actually goes back before that, that was harder for me because I that's not my field. So I try to find people who are geologists as well as early, I don't know what the word is, but early life form, and got some help. And then, you know, started reading and doing this and that. And was just couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe what's here. Right. Couldn't believe what's under my feet. I mean, I knew that, that once upon a time, the ocean was almost up here. I knew that the Blue Ridge was, were the highest range of mountains in the world, of all time, the highest mountains in the world. And when you look at them, you see the power of time. But there was a lot I didn't know at all. And, and also what happened when we broke up. We were originally one great landmass, as you know. And then we broke up, and we've got Africa and all and Europe on the other side of the Atlantic, and we've got us here. And, and if you really look at these landmasses, you can see that they kind of fit together. Well, mm-hmm. I just had myself a wonderful time. And then also examining life forms from that time and what has survived. Frogs. I mean, stuff like this that I didn't know. And then I just really got caught up in it. And, you know, of course, using the animals also for some of this stuff. Like when uh, the, the, the corgi in the 18th century goes to a bone pile. We've known in one way, but we haven't known in another way. But we made the commitment to growth, which we still do, unfortunately, in some ways, as opposed to preserving the environment or our history. So some of the stuff that we have done can't be recovered or uncovered. It's really fascinating you, you say that, how you got, you know, this is sort of a, correct me if I'm wrong, this is sort of a, a new topic for you, not the history behind things, but here you are now looking at, at fossils and uh, the remains under the earth. I mean, did you always have a fascination with that, or is this something you no. uncovered and said, hey, I want to learn about this? Not at all. 
I mean, I remember a couple times as a kid, you know, seeing stones with things in them, and Mom would tell me what it was or whatever. But, I mean, I've always been interested in pretty much from the Iliad on. <laughs> that's, where my, that's where my mental life starts, so to speak. And just thinking also how we as humans have survived, which isn't particularly in this part of the book at all, but what we did to live and what we're doing now. And I think, and you and I have talked about this before, I think the hunger for pets, the closeness that people have to their cats and dogs is a throwback. It is a desire to reconnect with nature. Uh, and, they, and, of course, people can't live like I do. Not that many people can get out on a farm or know what to do when they get there. But, but we know that's where we belong. We belong outside. Yeah, it's fascinating the fact that, you know, about the time I thought that, hey, you know, our youth, for instance, they don't go outside and explore things. I'm actually in a neighborhood now where there are kids that are actually riding bicycles, which is the first time I've seen since, you know, my youth. You just didn't see that. We mentioned earlier about all the electronic devices and things of this sort. So we're actually seeing them out and about. So I have some uh, – I'm encouraged by this. I'm excited about this. But then could you imagine like when we were young, when we went out exploring and if we found a uh, – say an arrowhead. Oh, we yeah. thought, Oh, we thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And I'm not sure now – I could be wrong, and maybe some listeners can tell me this, but uh, I'm not sure if a, a youngster found an arrowhead, they would actually know what it is, and would their parents know, <laughs> know what to yeah. do with it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. But that was the fascinating things, the little things when you could find a, an arrowhead or a particular type of rock that you've never seen before and wondered how it, how it got there or you know, you're maybe taking down – the things that always fascinated me was uh, where we lived. We had a lot of uh, very small older houses and when you could afford to renovate your house or perhaps build something a little bit bigger you know you would go and, and take down the house and or parts of it and then all of a sudden you would find little things that you know old cans or the old pepsi bottle with a label you've never seen before yeah. Those, when i was young was you know fascinated me let alone actually going into the deep archaeological parts of it and finding things that have been underneath us for years you know that's why it's great to have a dog they'll find it for you <laughs> they will, and they'll bring it you back know. to you. Yeah, especially if it's a critter, they'll bring it back to you. <laughs> but, so, you know, it really, it, it's fascinating. But, but, I mean, listen to people talk about walking their dogs. It's, I think, very soothing, mm -hmm. and I think it allows people to calm down from the stresses of their work day. And uh, hopefully it allows them to notice nature a little more because you know the dog is. Absolutely, and that's what I thought. Uh, you know, one of the things I thought was uh, I've written about this, and I see so going back to electronics again. I see so many people walking their dogs while they're texting, while they're they're on the phone, and it's like this is the time for you to actually a connect with your animal and, and listen to them and have a conversation, whether it's verbal or whether it's you know a, a telepathic or however you want to connect with them, get a feeling for what they're they're all about. And then it's also the time to sort of relax and unwind. It's a, it's a great meditation moment for you to be part of that. And so set down those phones, put them away, put them in your back pocket, and uh, you know connect with the uh, the animals. Uh, I think it's a great way to do it. So I'm you know I'm seeing some more people around my neighborhood once again that uh, are starting to do that more. I don't know. I'd like to think they've been listening to my uh, my radio show or read my <laughs> books. I don't know <laughs> if it's gone that far, but I'd like to think that. 
<laughs> well, one of the things that is fun here is, of course, I'm you know right at the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I'm way out in the country. And it doesn't mean we're uncivilized. I mean, in some ways, we have more civilization than I would like. But nonetheless, it can still be pretty raw. And you can still see the cycle of nature. I mean, you know who's prey and you know who's predator. And you, I mean, most of us don't want to see an animal get killed. But it's part of the cycle. There really is a balance and it needs to be kept and we need to step back from it. And what I see lately that really astonishes me is uh, I've got a lot of raptors on the farm, including bald eagles, and they are terrifying. I mean, if any of my dogs had puppies, I would not let them out until they were big enough. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that they would be snatched up and flown away. Yeah, you'd have to be careful about that. I saw a, a you know, once again, I'm not, I don't do a lot of social media, but I tell you, every once in a while I catch a gym popping up there. And I, I saw one the other day that was actually a, uh, make sure I get this right, it was a fox that caught a rabbit. And then the, I can't remember if it was a hawk or an eagle catching the fox. So, oh. Yeah, so it showed like all three of them in a tandem. What we see here a lot, if we go down to the James, I'm not real far away from the James River, the upper James, which is wide enough. You get down to the lower James and it's like a mile plus wide. And you'll see, you know, an osprey or something like that dives down and gets a fish. And they're beautiful. They're beautiful birds. And the fish is in its talons and and it's going back to the nest. And a bigger bird comes and steals it right out of their talons in the air. You're watching this act of theft, and you just think, you know, not that I want to say humans are like animals or whatever, but as a human being, you might want to recognize that you do have enemies and give it some care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't just mean other humans as enemies. I mean, there are animals that are bigger than we are. Yeah. And if if you blunder into their territory, I don't want to say you get what you deserve, but mm, maybe you should have taken a little time to figure out where you are and where they are and what's what. Like, we have a lot of bear here. They're not going to bother you. They're black bear. But if you're out west and it's a grizzly bear, they can kill you, and they don't mm. mind killing you. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a matter of, you know, you need to be in the moment, be knowledgeable and aware, and have respect, you know. And I think if you do that, then the animal's going to... uh respect you as well but if you get into their space and you go in there uninformed or uh, non-caring uh, yeah you're liable to know about it rather quickly well that's why it's great to have a dog yeah you know the dog will tell you give you that heads up another great reason to have a dog <laughs> <laughs> well the dog will, i mean somebody walked in my front door yesterday i'm on a, a rewrite and i can get real focused and i had run into the library to check a fact and i didn't no, the front door was opened. Well, it was opened. A friend. It wasn't anybody that was dangerous. But she walked in the front hall, and the next thing I knew, it was total chaos. And all those dogs went right to her, and they wouldn't let her move. They didn't bite her, but they would not. She couldn't move. So I ran out, and I thought, what the hell's going on here? I thought, you know, maybe another dog had walked into the house, you know, because we do get a lot of strays around here. And no, it was my friend. <laughs> so I had to call them all off. But I thought they're doing their job. That's right. That's right. You can't just assume, you, you know, it may be somebody that was in there, uh, like you said, your friend that's been there a you know, hundred times, but they can't just assume they can come walking willy nilly and uh, into your house without a, some sort of an announcement ahead of time. Well, I don't know what's going on where you are, but we have coyote here and they are, they're very efficient killers. And I would not let a child out 
without a big dog with a child or me. I mean, a little one. They'll kill anything. And, and, you know, people say all this stuff, oh, don't shoot this, don't shoot that. And I want to say, do you have any idea what these animals can do? Plus, they hunt as a pack. Yeah. Well, you, you have to be careful, you know, as we, we continue to encroach on their land, that's going to happen. You know, it's real interesting because, you know, and maybe I'm at fault here as well, but uh, we built a, uh, a house, a new house three years ago and a uh, lovely place. You know, it's still in the heart of the city, but I, I just ran across a map of this area dating back even five, ten years ago. And it's totally changed. Now it's just full of you know, home developments. There's a road that goes right through it, which uh, I, I, I distinctly remember ten years ago that it was only a partial road, and then all of a sudden it turned to gravel because the rest <laughs> of it was just farm and horse, horse land, what have you. And now that's all gone. So even in that short period of time, it, it's changed. So you know that will happen. So coyotes and, and various wildlife that used to roam this area freely now all of a sudden don't have their space. And uh, yeah, they're going to uh, take advantage of whatever they can. And they'll, they'll always take advantage of the easy source. So yeah, you gotta be, yeah, so you got to be careful, be cognizant of in respect. I think that's the, that's the key. Well, you know, that's the fun of doing the Mrs. Murphy Mysteries because I can see the world through the animal's eyes a lot of times. And I have to render it into English. But animals do understand language. I mean, that's not so far-fetched. They don't speak it that we do, but they know what we're saying, obviously. Absolutely. I mean, these guide dogs have vocabularies of about 500 words. Absolutely. You know, and and I've written about this, you know, my my last book, Talking About Dogs and Cats, was a perfect example of that because they understand more than just our basic words you know we know they understand what we call like in a for a dog when we're training they know their basic commands you know the sit stays lays leave it's all this stuff but uh, i firmly believe and know for a fact that they understand full sentences they know what we're talking about they know if we start talking about a going on vacation they know and they want to know okay Great. Let's pack our bags. Let's go. Where, you know, where, when are we going? Are we going now? And it, it could be weeks from now, and they may not even be going. But you better be aware that if you're talking about, they're going to pick up on it. They're going to understand those words you're saying. They're going to understand the energy behind it. And uh, you better be ready to explain yourself to them. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have a, a dog or a cat or an animal that's going to be uh, pacing the floors and, and <laughs> bugging the heck out of you. You know, one of the things that's really fascinating is dogs and horses. I can't speak for cats because they're not going to lower themselves to reveal but so much. But dogs and horses know the difference between nouns and verbs. Mm. That's a very sophisticated concept. If you point out a bone, the dog knows it's a bone. That's right. If you point out the car, they know it's a car. If you say stop, go, those are verbs. They know what it means. You move or you stop moving. I mean, that's very sophisticated. Yeah, yeah, it is. Absolutely. And it, and, and it just amazes me that people think they're stupid. They also know, and we've done some research on this, I think they've done some at Radcliffe, of all places, Brandeis, Cornell, which you would expect in Auburn, some of those places, mm-hmm. and also in Hungary. There's a university in Hungary that's done a lot of research on dog intelligence, and some on horse intelligence, not in Hungary. But we know that the higher vertebrates know the difference in languages. In other words, if you're not speaking English, let's say you're speaking French, they may not know French, but they know you're not speaking English. They don't understand what you're saying. Now, there are some animals that you can give them commands, particularly in the horse world. You can give them a command in Spanish, or you can give them a command in English, and they know it. Right. And it just fascinates me. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and that's why uh, a lot of, uh, if you have a uh, guard dog, 
for instance, uh, that's been trained to guard and protect, uh, say, like a German shepherd, they'll teach them, uh, you know, a German language. And not only will they understand that, but also they do it for, you know, purposes of protecting the family. Because if uh, everyone will say can speak English, so if you start talking to a dog in English and start giving them commands, they may or may not respond. More likely they will. If you've trained them to say sit, they'll probably sit for just about anybody. But mm-hmm. if you teach them in a language that you're not familiar with or a lot of people aren't familiar with, then uh, it just adds an extra layer of uh, protection in the training. You know, I bet it does. I never thought of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. The other thing that fascinates me, which I, I, I use lightly in the book, our scent receptors are not very good. And, of course, dogs are the best there are right. uh, of the domesticated animals. So if you are happy, your dog knows. If you're sad, your dog knows. Uh, if you're angry, you, you may be able to hide these emotions from humans, but you can't hide it from your dog. That's right. Well, they, you know, they can pick up on the, the sense that you have, obviously, from a physical standpoint. They can sense you know, from a smell standpoint, but also your vibrations, your energy. You know, I, I believe when communicating with animals, they understand the words that you're saying. They understand the visualization that you project. Every time you say a word or series of words, you project an image of what you're talking about, and I think they're very in tune with that. And then the third part of it is the energy behind it. You know, your energy level, if there's a shift in your energy level, if it's in a positive mode, positive mood, if you're projecting positive energy, they respond accordingly in a positive manner. If you are in a negative mood, negative energy, projecting negative energy, they will do their best to try to deflect that until a point when they can't deflect it, and then they'll absorb it, and that's when they have dis-ease within themselves, either physically or emotionally. So that's why you know, you'll know you see a dog that if you, if, you, if you tell them no, they may stop for a moment, and then they're going to go back to their normal normal way of doing things because they deflect that negative energy. But if you stay positive about it and praise them and give constant support on a positive manner, they're going to respond a lot better and a lot quicker to you. Do you think there was a time when we could communicate with animals better than we do now? Yeah, I think we're getting better and better at it. I just don't think we allow ourselves to be able to do it. You know, this is sort of the premise of what what I do on a daily basis is helping people communicate more effectively and at a deeper level with with their animals. So, you know, when we're young, we know that we can communicate with our mothers. Our mothers have that mother's instinct. We all have heard about that, and we all believe in that. A mom can look at little Timmy and see that there's something wrong or feel that there's something wrong or get that gut feeling, that, that instinct that there's something wrong. And if she acts upon it, more times than not, there is something going on with little Timmy. And you ask the mother afterwards how she knew that, and oftentimes it's, I just had a feeling. I had a vision. I had a sense that this was going to happen, or there was something. I should say there mm. was something going on. And it's the same thing with animals. Animals talking at – yeah, that telepathic method, you know, they can communicate without vocalizing or even in motion. And that's when you see, you know, two dogs lying perfectly still sound asleep and all of a sudden they both get up and they go to the door. Or they go do something because they've had that conversation together. And so, you know, my premise is that that we all have it to a degree. It's a matter of going back and using it, staying in that quiet moment, connecting with animals and trusting what you receive from them. And that's that's the key. Put aside all your self-doubt. Uh, don't overanalyze everything. Don't question everything like us humans always do. And whatever you receive from that animal in that quiet moment is going to be accurate. It's interesting you put it that way. 
I can't put it that way in the Sneaky Pie book, but what I can do and do do is she doesn't know what they're saying. They know what she's saying, but she doesn't really know what they're saying. But she has learned to trust them. So if her animals, say, keep going back to a spot on the farm or push something out of her hands, her first response is, well, I want to do it my way, you know, get it. But she has now learned to trust them. And I thought, well, it's a small step, but maybe this is where most humans start. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we all can learn from Sneaky Pie Brown, for sure. She's (laughs) always got it solved, always got the mystery solved. She knows what to do. So follow, at the very least, follow her lead and and trust it. I think you're going to be happy with that. (laughs) So tell us. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about then, uh, just wrap up here today. What should people uh, walk away from after they've read the book? Had some fun with it. Are there any hidden gems, anything you want them to say, ha, aha, that's, I, do. Yeah, I got some out of that. I mean, I do. I always want them to love their animals and be helpful to strays and, you know, their, their animal rescue groups. I mean, that's just a given. But I would hope that when people close this book, they'd wonder about just what they were standing on. I mean, wherever they are, whether it's Nevada or whether it's here. Whatever. What's underneath you? What happened here? Yeah. And go do the research. Get involved in it. And you may be able to find out some uh, – you will definitely find out some fascinating things. And you may be able to uh, you know, educate yourself a little bit more and also just enjoy yourself like, like you did, finding out a different part of, uh, of what's going on around you, being more educated but also having a lot of fun with it. Life's a learning process, and this is definitely going to lead you down that path to learn a little bit more. You should never stop. That's it. Keep moving. Keep learning. That's the the key to life. I think it is. <laughs> so the latest book, once again, it's uh, Probable Clause. It takes a cat to write the perfect mystery. It's uh, Rita Mae Brown and her awesome sidekick, Sneaky Pie Brown, solving the latest mysteries of the Mrs. Murphy mystery series. Rita Mae, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Uh, just love chatting with you. Love the work you do. It's another great book. Always fascinating to dig in and see what the little messages are. And uh, Just uh, keep up the great work, and we'll look forward to chatting with you uh, down the road. Oh, Thanks, Tim. Uh, my pleasure. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show uh, today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I uh, want to thank the producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, if you have any questions, ideas, or comments uh, for the show, you can email us at PetLifeRadio.com. And we're glad to entertain your comments and bring on the people you want to hear from most. And while you're there, check out all the other great shows uh, on the network. That's PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a book, a blog, an article, a magazine. Get it out there. Who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.